Welcome to the Open Apple Podcast, where we celebrate the Apple II. Whether you're a longtime user, a nostalgic visitor, or a newcomer to the community, join us as we share news and memories of Steve Wozniak's most famous personal computer. Hello and welcome to the Open Apple Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ken Gadgey, and joining me as always is M. Hello, M. Hello. Yes, my name is M. Uh, the voice sounds familiar, even if the name is different. Uh, those of you who have listened for a long time knew me as Mike, but I go by M now. How are you, Ken? Uh, well, you know, I've been better, unfortunately, uh, even though our voices are familiar. And uh, this podcast has been off the air a while, and we are back today because of something that happened over this past week. Uh, our dear friend and alumnus of this very podcast, Tony Diaz, passed away last week in late October 2021. Yeah, um, very sad news indeed. I, I, Tony, he was 54, which, uh, like, I turned 50 this year, so that doesn't seem very old to me at all. No, no, it does not. He was born in 1967. I have a brother who was born in 1967, and I can't fathom losing a family member, and I couldn't fathom losing Tony. So when I got the news on Facebook... Uh, Michael Mulhern, being ahead in the time zone, was one of the first to hear the news. He saw it on Tony's Facebook wall. Mm. Several people from not the Apple II community, from the California community, from the Civil Air Patrol community, which Tony was very active in, they were posting on his wall. And it seemed like something that we hoped was a bad joke. And it's not uh, to lose somebody who's just, as you said, uh, 54 years old. You know, 10 years ago this year, M, you and I recorded a podcast in memoriam of Ryan Suinaga mm. just after he died in, in his young early 40s. And I don't like this tradition of every 10 years losing somebody who's too young. So I thought we would just use this podcast to talk a little bit about Tony, uh, share some memories of him. Uh, he was a, a pillar in the Apple II community for many years. And as the last few years have gone on, he has not been as involved as he used to be. And so some people may not know him, and this is an opportunity for them to know him later than never. And for those who also knew him, it's an opportunity to share some memories and to hear us chat about an old friend. M, what was one of your first memories of Tony? My first memory of Tony was um, um, back in, uh, I'd say the late 90s. Compsys Apple II uh, on Usenet was not exactly the friendliest place to be. And um, <laughs> I remember seeing Tony's name show up in, in some of those posts. And so when I met him uh, uh, for the first time at Kansas Fest, I was a little bit, there was some trepidation on my part about like, what's he really going to be like, you know? Um, and fortunately, uh, I was pleased to have, have my, my fears uh, disabused of me. He was a really great guy. And, and I remember people talking about, you know, this, this guy that, that flies into Kansas Fest every year and, uh, you know, and because um, Tony had a had a, his own little airplane that he would f often fly out. I don't think it was a, I don't think he did it every single year, but often he would fly out from uh, Southern California, and you know take a circle around, um, I guess Avila first, and then Rockhurst, and uh, take pictures, and that would often end up in like the program and things. Uh, but I was just kind of like, oh, that's that's an interesting and really cool eccentricity that one I would not have imagined. Yeah, as you mentioned to me earlier, it's impossible to talk about Tony without talking about Kansas Fest and vice versa. Uh, he was there every year for more than for several decades. He was the only person who had ever been to every Kansas Fest, 
And uh, you're right, he would fly in. I think, I don't remember if it was exactly a Cessna, but uh, on the years he w- didn't fly in, and maybe even on the years he did, I remembered this was well before Twitch or you could stream to YouTube. He had a dash cam and he would oh, live right. stream right. his transit mm-hmm. to Kansas Fest. Yep, totally forgot about that. I remember one time he was uh, chatting, and maybe it was on Genie or Syndicom Online, and he was sharing his stream and uh, you know, sending us text messages about what he has seen. And I asked him, um, is this is this stream live? He's like, yeah, why? I'm like, so you are live streaming and chatting on Genie and driving? Because <laughs> this is before like people with cell phones and texting. And I was like, oh my God, Tony, don't do not do that. Please don't do that. And he just thought it was hilarious that I was concerned. Yeah, he uh, um, he always had like the the years that he drove out, his car was always stuffed with the equipment. But his like the front dash of his car was loaded up with you know the cameras and the the view screens and all the all the interesting navigational stuff that he happened to have set up that year. And that that always fascinated me as well. I remember the Kansas Fest website, the f- service that Carl Noblock used to run, Pike Up and Drop Off. Oh, uh, that's you right. Would, yeah. yeah, when when you. Uh, you would sign up for it as part of your transit to Kansas Fest, and you would fill in a form with your flight details. And there was a drop down that listed every airline that flew into Kansas City. So, like Delta, Southwest, JetBlue, Frontier, <laughs> A2 Airlines. <Right. laughs> like that was one of the drop downs because Tony needed a ride from the airport and he was flying himself in. And I believe there were times when he flew uh, other Apple II uh, fans in as well, and they, they got to ride on Apple II Airlines. That is cool. I never got that opportunity. Did you? No. No, I didn't. Um, I'm not a big fan of things that fly in the sky as far as like getting in them, so uh, that's not one that I really regret missing. But, uh, yeah, I, I hear that it was quite an experience. You know, it's funny the way you put that, uh, things that fly in the sky, because I just remembered, I didn't think of this uh, at all in the last week, Tony had some sort of a, I don't know if it was just a website or a store, but it was flyingthings.com, and things is spelled a Z at the end, and he had these videos of flying lawnmowers. (laughs) Uh, It was the weirdest thing. Like, I'm, I'm on the website now, and it shows like a drive-in movie theater marquee, and it says, be right back after this message. Sorry for the prolonged outages. Stay safe. Apple II forever. Oh. Forever is misspelled. And then there is a 404 with an Apple II uh, GIF. So this is definitely Tony's website, but <laughs> I, I don't remember what he did with it. Actually, I bet you if I were to look him up on LinkedIn, there was a time years ago, and I bet I still have the documents, where he asked for my help with his resume. He was looking for a job, and he wanted my take on what he was doing. And uh, I'm looking at LinkedIn now. It says, flying things, June 2009 to present. Design and manufacture remote control scale model aircraft kits, operate and maintain CNC, CO2, laser, and 3D foam cutting equipment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He... I think that was, yeah, he's the owner. That was just a thing he did. So if you thought Tony was Apple II and Civil Air Patrol, he was those things, but he was also flying lawnmowers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that that sort of did go hand in hand with his love of uh, uh, flight and and the, the Civil Air Patrol activities was the, the the manufacturing of those things. He was one of the first people that I knew that had a three D printer and that, that laser cutting business um, was, as I understand it, quite impressive. I he invited me out to his his place um, 
in Oceanside many times, and that's one of my great regrets is never actually getting out there to see him. Not just not just the the vast you know uh, uh, Apple II collection, which which is I've heard was extensive, but just you know to spend time with Tony and also to see the other things that he did, like these these little RC aircraft. Yeah, he was always on the cutting edge of technology. Like I remember he was one of the first people to have Google Glass and he showed mm. up to Kansas Fest yeah. one year. And I think that's actually when we started distributing the red lanyards <laughs> that indicated you didn't want to be filmed. Yes. <laughs> I don't think that's a coincidence. No, no, I think you're right. I, I do remember being very impressed by the quality of the the images that those, those things took, but a little bit unnerved at, at just how uh, invasive it, it sort of felt when I would see him wearing those. Yeah. Yeah, he was always walking around Kansas Fest with not only his Google Glass, but also, do you remember like he had this this giant pitcher with a handle, a mug? Like, you know, I go to Kansas Fest with a water bottle. It's usually either 16 or 32 ounces. I think he had one that was like 128 ounces. Yeah, it was it was massive. I always I always wondered what he put in there. I, I never I never actually <laughs> that thing. It was a little bit scary. <laughs> I assumed he was like going to steak and shake or jack in the box or some other sonic uh, or something and just loading it up with the most caffeinated beverage he could find because for many years he was the head of the kansas fest committee and running kansas fest requires that you be somewhat wired yeah as i understand it that's an exhausting uh week or so uh, actually probably longer than that but uh yeah i i remember him as being one of the kind of the 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 night owls that always went out to the steak and shake at two in the morning and came back as the sun was coming up. He was consistently at those, even in later years where I started to, you know, like, okay, I'm nodding off and, and clearly I'm too old to be going out this late, but uh, Tony was always, always there. So that didn't, wouldn't surprise me if it was just like a, a cup, a tin full of caffeine. <laughs> you know, you, you talk about getting older as we continue to go to Kansas Fest. I think in some ways Tony got younger because I remember <laughs> like one year he showed up and his hair was like this this bright bronze yellow color. And oh, I was yeah. like, Tony, what happened? He's like, I retrobrighted it. <laughs> I love that. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> and he still has that hair in this photo that Jason Scott posted. You may recall, mm. uh, maybe it was like eight years ago now. Massive. Uh, I can't believe how time flies. Uh, Wired.com did a story about how Tony and Jason collaborated to rescue the source code for Prince of Persia from Jordan Mechner. Mm -hmm. do, you remember, do you remember that story? I do. I do. I was always, uh, uh, there was a, uh, I always had a twinge of envy that he got to do that. Cause that seemed, seemed like a, just a really cool thing. And, and I didn't, I mean, obviously, you know, it would, it would have been totally impractical for me to be involved with that. I live in Colorado. Why would I be involved in that? But still there was this thing like, Oh, he's so lucky. Come on. Right. Yeah. I love what Jason wrote on Facebook. I'll include a link in the show notes, but he wrote, Tony was on all cylinders that day, dedicated to getting the information, doing an Apple whisperer trick of glancing at Mechner's Apple and telling him every store upgrade and change he'd made over the years. It put Jordan at ease to know he was in such amazing, competent hands. Tony possessed one of the world's most exquisite and complete Apple II collections. And that's true. He'd often bring it to Kansas Fest in what he called like an Apple II roadshow. He'd pull out these things I'd never seen before, like... I, I, I'm sure if it weren't for Tony, I never would have gotten my hands on a Mark Twain. Absolutely. Yeah. He, um, I didn't even know those things existed if it, and I wouldn't, uh, if, if it hadn't been for, for Tony and, you know, making that, uh, 
um, public for everyone. And I, one of the things I always enjoyed about, about Tony was those stories. Like you could pull out, I don't know, name any piece of software, any piece of Apple II hardware. He had a story about it and that was detailed and that, that it wasn't just like something that he would read on Wikipedia. It was a personal story that he, you know, had his memory of it. And, and that was so cool. I really always enjoyed that. I, uh, I have um, an Apple IIe that the, the serial number is uh, like 1600 or something like that. It's pretty low. And uh, I took it one year and he had one that what happened to be like three numbers previous to mine and just put together like an impromptu Kansas Fest session comparing the two. And it was just amazing to watch him work like that. What I remember is that every time he would be demoing some unusual or historical piece of hardware for the audience at Kansas Fest, he would pull something out, show it to us. Like he'd, he'd say something about it. He'd show it to us. And he had this big grin on his face. And there was this really long, almost <laughs> awkward pause while he waited for us to understand the implications of what we were looking at. Like this shouldn't be possible. Or this usually has 17 wires and this one has only 16. And right. <laughs> It's the sort of jaw-dropping uh, realization that you would only make if you had the context that only Tony had. So he would stare at us with a grin, and then he'd drop the other shoe and say, this is why it's important. We're like, oh, we didn't know that. How could we? We're not yeah. Tony. Yeah, totally. Um, he, he was always great for that. And uh, he helped me on, on more than one occasion fix you know whatever piece of Apple II hardware I was having trouble with. I think one of the things that he liked to do getting back to his travel for a moment, you know, after Kansas Fest ended, he would get in his car and continue driving for a couple of weeks after that. You know, you would if you followed followed him later on Twitter, but, you know, on his Web page and things like that, he would be uh, checking in from Florida or New York or whatever. And he would, every time he came through Denver, he would make sure to to look me up and try to spend some time with me. Um, and usually I would like pull out, like, look at this, it's broken, fix it. And he would help me with that. That was pretty cool. <laughs> One of those meetups I happened to be there for. That's right. Yeah. You were, uh, you had, this was, this would have been what, I guess about 10 years ago, 2011, right? Summer. Yeah. Either 2011 or 2012. I went back to Denver after both of those Kansas fests. And a few days later, Tony showed up and the three okay. of us all went out for breakfast. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a good good breakfast. I I don't know. Um, it, Tony had his moments with people, and sometimes you know, like I, I considered myself a a friend of his. Uh, but there were times when he would irritate me, and we'd be less friends. And I don't know. Uh, I think <laughs> you had some moments with him as well, and it may have been like when that morning we were like, "Is this a good idea?" Um, <laughs> and it turned out to be a great one uh you know i was relieved that like oh whew, you know but like yeah um i don't know if you remember that i i don't remember that mood specifically but everything you just described is a hundred percent accurate uh, i can totally see that happening and yeah i was on the kansas fest committee for over a decade and i worked with tony because as we mentioned, he was the committee chair. If it weren't for him, Kansas Fest may have died on the vine years ago when it got passed mm -hmm. off from the previous organizer. And everybody who works at, for Kansas Fest is a volunteer. They don't have to do that. And uh, Tony kept it running. And he had a committee who helped him. And as time went on, the committee did more. And Tony sometimes did less. 
and that could be frustrating at times but it doesn't change the fact that he still did something like he was the one putting down the deposit at rockhurst and signing the contract and getting the insurance and making all those things happen kansas fest can't happen without any of those things and so absolutely you know as frustrated as i was you know you know, it's funny, Ryan Suenaga, who we did a tribute podcast for 10 years ago, uh, mm-hmm. sometimes he would put out a podcast that had poor audio quality, or he would write an article that had some errors in it. And his philosophy was, a podcast that exists is better than a podcast that doesn't exist. <laughs> yep. You know, like it can, it has errors, but it's better than not publishing it at all. In some respects, I understand and I can appreciate that. Same thing with Kansas Fest. Like, Kansas Fest existed, and no matter how the sausage got made, maybe I shouldn't say that because we're both vegetarian. No matter how the tofu got made, <laughs> there you go. You know, it got made. <laughs> uh, yeah, I always respected that about him. Um, you know, and, and I, I'd heard stories. I would hear stories every now and then about you know the the uh, committee and like Tony did what Tony was going to do, and it didn't always match with what the committee thought was going to happen and there was some conflict there, but yeah, I mean, he was human like the rest of us and he did, I think what he thought was best. And, and I always, uh, respected him, uh, for, for keeping it going. I, I, my first Kansas fest was in 2005 and I think there were maybe like 15 people there. Um, Mm -hmm. it was the year that, that Ray Merlin, uh, was the, um, was the, the speaker. Oh yeah. That uh, was the first year at Rockhurst. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and Tony, as far as I, from what I understand, basically was the sole reason that any of that happened and was that way for a number of those lean years, especially. You know, that is a good point. And I hadn't thought of that. I was on the committee during that time. 2004 was, we had Kansas Fest at Avila University or previously Avila College, like we had for decades. And then I remember specifically, I was sitting in my office at the high school where I taught and Tony sent an email to the committee saying Avila is no longer doing summer events we need to find a new home sean fahey who lives in kansas city and i are already on it we've identified some candidates i hope to have an update for you again soon i was like wow tony has solved this problem before i even knew it existed right exactly um he was always great helping people especially new people at kansas fest who were lost or confused or had it had some problem um, and this was in addition to, you know, his regular duties uh, with the, the committee and, you know, him just having trying to have fun as well. I have a I have a picture of him that I took. I think uh, it was probably like maybe on Friday during one of the sessions and he had fallen asleep. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when else is he going to sleep? Exactly. <laughs> You know, that actually brings up another good point, which is uh, he was on the JuiceGS staff. And for many years, we did a JuiceGS staff photo. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking now at all the years that he came and all the photos he showed up for. Like, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's so funny. Like, there was the year that we all tried to cram ourselves into a phone booth. That's my favorite one. Really? Why that one? I don't know. There's just something about that that picture that makes me smile every time I see it. And and the thing that stands out, you know, uh, for me is is how happy everyone looked in that photo, and especially Tony. Yeah, yeah, that was a good year. Uh, one of the funnier ones, though, for me is uh, let me see if I scroll up to 2017. So this is the 40th 
birthday of the Apple II, and Jason Scott staged this birthday party with streamers and hats and everything. And mm -hmm. you see Kay Savitt and Annie Malloy and Kate Scott Nicky and Peter Neubauer and I, and we're all, we all have these hats on and we're all really happy. And <laughs> Tony is right next to me and he does not look happy. <laughs> like, I, I don't know if he was doing that on purpose, but he looks like, like mortified by something. Oh no. <laughs> and like I showed it to Jason. I was like, what are we gonna do with this? And he's like, that's Tony. Don't change it. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I'm sure Tony had a good time, but I, I don't know if he was trying to ruin my photo, but I like oh. the way it came out. <laughs> I, I do remember um he was always, you know, like you said, usually quick quick with a smile most of the time. And in fact, he, he, I, I don't know if you you remember this. Every time I saw him in Kansas fast or I would walk by his room, he had like these weird, like parody songs blasting, you know, uh, weird Al was kind of one of his favorites, but so many like just hilariously odd and strange music choices. I thought that was, I thought that was kind of cool and weird about him. Yeah. You know what? I, I had forgotten about his parodies. So I don't know if you remember like during the Iraq war, uh, there was an Iraqi diplomat politician who was often parodied for saying like, there are no Americans here. There are no Americans yeah, here. Yeah. And there were. And so Tony mocked up a cover of Juice GS with that diplomat saying like, there are no Apple twos here. <laughs> like, of course there are. It's Juice GS. What do you expect? But I still have that mock-up. Of course, it's never been published, but... Yeah, every time, like, he was not the only one to make Juice GS mock-ups. Ryan Suinaga did some, too. And every time I looked at them, I said, that is terrible. Don't ever publish it. And then I just filed it away in my parody folder because I'm like, this is great. <laughs> right? Yeah. He did write for Juice GS. I mm -hmm. neglected to take a look at what articles he wrote over the years, but there were many. There hadn't been any in a while. But I remember the two of you collaborate on a review of uh, Andy McFadden Cider Press many years ago. Oh, um, yeah, I remember that. I think <laughs> I think that was more a case of like I I wrote sort of the basic review and he he uh, touched it up and corrected yeah. some errors and things like that. Um, but yeah, I uh, and I, I do remember like and this is kind of one of those quirks thing. He was he was terrible at spelling because I got the, the draft back. I'm like, oh, clearly I did not write that paragraph. That is Tony. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what is that word? <laughs> One of the things that Tony was great at on the staff was we would get letters to the editor and people would be asking, I'm trying to access this file on this floppy disk and I'm getting error 27. What does that mean? Or somebody else writes in and says, uh, my Vulcan hard drive isn't working. How can I rescue it? And every time, like, I'm supposed to respond to those because I'm the editor-in-chief, but I would usually just say, Tony, this is totally your purview. Uh, you have an expertise in this. I do not. Can you please respond to this reader and we'll publish it in the next issue? And he did that several times because who, when you have Tony Diaz on your staff, who better to answer those questions? Indeed. And in fact, uh, getting back to that, you know, when Compsys Apple II was sort of fracturing and uh, the person who had set up the, I guess, original FAQs about that news group was sort of withholding them from people based on who that person was angry at. Um, and Tony took it upon himself to to start from scratch and rewrite an entire set of uh, uh, CSA2 uh, FAQs and maintain those um, for a number of years. 
uh, he he was just this this vast repository of Apple II knowledge. There was nothing that I couldn't ask him that he couldn't come up with an answer for, like on the spot. Mm-hmm. Some of the challenges Tony faced, though, was sharing that information. If you asked him Indeed. for something like a specific file, for example, he'd be like, oh, yeah, I have it. I just need to find it and get it to you. And that didn't always happen. One person once put it as Tony having something is like nobody having it. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think that sort of stretched into some of his business stuff later on when he was running uh, uh, Syndicom and the, the print-on-demand books and things like that. But, um, you know, those things happen, and it's unfortunate. Um, I, I don't think I'm really wanting to cast too much shade on him uh, for that or get too much into specifics. Um, just again, yeah, he was human. He made mistakes. and. Yeah, Syndicom is short for Syndicated Communities because it was founded by Gary Utter to run the Apple II forum on Genie back in the 90s toward the end of Gary's life, which unfortunately he passed away in March of 2004. Uh, he sold Syndicom to Eric Shepard and Sheppy expanded it dramatically. He started selling products. He launched mm -hmm. A2Central.com. It really thrived under Sheppy. Uh, but then, you know, it's a volunteer community. Attrition is natural. And at some point, Sheppy wanted to divest himself of some of these properties. So he gave Syndicom to Tony because Tony already had his own online business called 16sector.com. He was already selling products. So Sheppy's like, the infrastructure is already there. Tony will do a great job. And for a while, Tony did. He like even, I think he's the one maybe that brought SoftDisk back. He signed the contract to be allowed to publish soft disc, which was a disc of the month club. And even I think it was uh, GS plus, like he got the rights to sell back issues to GS plus. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I don't know what happens to those rights now that he's gone. I hope something is done not only to preserve his collection of rare and unique hardware and prototypes, but also like, the intellectual property and the things that he sold on his website, whether or not he ever shipped those things, he still had the right to ship them. And I hope somebody else now does. Yeah. The, the non-physical stuff is, is kind of, you know, that's where things can get sticky and fall down those rat holes where nobody has access to it anymore because no one knows who owns it or the people who did end up with it don't care anymore about it. And, and like you said, uh, that that could be tricky. You know, I, I'm sure that much of his hardware, you know, Jason Scott's really great at this. There are people who, there are other people in the community who are also really good at going and, and rescuing that stuff and making sure it gets into the hands of museums and, and of people who will, will preserve and make those available. But when you get into the intellectual property, then it gets a little bit murky. And I think, um, Ken, you had mentioned in one of these emails when we were talking about doing this, that you, in fact, were, you had set up a will. Uh, you had set up your will and included your Apple II stuff, which fascinated me. Um, and I was going to ask you, like, what was that like? What, what kind of stuff goes into that? Well, you know, it's actually funny you should mention that. We're recording this on Wednesday. I just finalized my will two days ago. Mm -hmm. I had the appointment to do that for the last month or so, and... After I got the news from Tony, that was Saturday morning, 48 hours before I was supposed to meet my lawyer. And I actually made some changes after hearing what happened to Tony because I realized I hadn't thought of some things. But for me, like I have no partner or dependents and there is nobody who needs to uh, personally profit off my demise because the, everybody in my life uh, that I'm related to by blood is 
they, they don't need that. But at the same time, I'm not sure that they fully understand or appreciate what I own. They might look at and say, oh, that's just an old Macintosh, throw it in the trash. Nobody wants it anymore. Mm-hmm. So I specifically identified a person in the Apple II community who will receive all my Apple II hardware, software, and data, and they know the value of these things, both financially and intangibly. Like I have other rare electronics that are not Apple II, and I found museums that will take them. The Strong is one in upstate New York, the Computer History Museum in California, uh, The Maid, the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment in Oakland, California. These are all great places to reach out to, and they all were happy to be named in my, in my will, if, if appropriate. Uh, I'm not saying those three specifically, but the ones I reached out to were happy mm-hmm. to collaborate on that. So, yeah, and then for my intellectual property, uh, I don't want to go into details because I don't want anybody sure. to be incentivized <laughs> to, uh, oh, boy, <laughs> if, if Ken has an accident, look at what happens. Oh, no, he, f- he fell in front of a bus. Oh. Uh, again. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I made sure that the copyrights on my work will be respected in a way that I see fit and which will not impede their availability. Great. That's, that's important. That's huge. Yeah. And if anybody wants to talk to me about that offline or if you need advice on who to talk to, uh, you know, feel free to email me on the website at open-apple.net. Uh, and I, I do think it's important uh, for, you know, I'm sure that uh, a large section of our the, the listening audience to this podcast in particular probably has collections like that you know where if you die your family maybe your family members are not all that sympathetic to to uh your efforts or or just don't care and you know important things get thrown away so as we get older and we you know uh shuffle off this mortal coil uh, it's important to make sure that uh, that those things are protected and, and uh, handed off properly. Yeah, and I have to believe that somebody like Tony, who's been a part of this community for decades, I mean, he was at my first Kansas Fest back in 98, which was now 23 years ago, mm-hmm. that the people in his life, they may not know exactly what a Mark Twain is, but they know that it it was Tony's and therefore it must be something important and we should find somebody who can help us with that. Like I have no idea what kind of will Tony had, if any, but I think in cases like this, we almost have to assume the worst and make sure that somebody is there to ensure that things don't end up in the trash. Yeah. Yeah. I like you, I don't, I don't know that Tony had a partner, you know, he never really talked that much about family so yeah, it's, it's it's a big question mark, and, and I hope that he he was able to because as as we talked about, he wasn't always great at planning stuff. I you know I uh, we we talked about uh, Sheppy's Syndicom Empire and the A2 Central website especially, and he uh, Sheppy when he was looking to divest himself of some of that stuff, asked me to kind of take over running, you know, the, the posts and, and the day-to-day maintenance on that. And the thing was, Tony was the one who was handling the back end. Um, and uh, he and I did not always agree about how that site should be run. And in fact, that was the reason that I stepped down from from that position. But no, those things happen. You know, sometimes you, uh, sometimes something is best run by a benevolent dictator. Uh, it's, you know, it's, at times, easier to not collaborate with somebody and just do it yourself. 
And unfortunately, when you are taking on so many responsibilities and you have so much ambition and you're trying to get so much done, some things fall off and they don't get done at all. And, you know, we saw that with Tony. He was still a good guy, uh, even though he and I didn't mm-hmm. chat much. Like, I still considered him a friend. He, he used to be a good friend. Like, we'd hang out. I'd send him birthday cards in the mail. Oh. And, uh, that you know, that's that's the most important thing right now is not, you know, the other things are important. People are right to be frustrated about some activities. And also, we are right to be concerned about a Mark Twain disappearing. But there's also the fact that we've lost a friend. And that's really hard. I mean, it in the Apple II community, to a degree, as you said, we're all getting older and it's expected. But I did not see this coming, and that and that really hurts. Yeah, this is kind of a shock um, when you you sent me that email. I, I haven't been very connected to the Apple II community in recent years, and so my my first indication of this was your email with the title like "sad news," and I was like, "Oh no!" Um, and yeah, I've just been kind of sitting with it because. Tony was kind of always that that Apple II person that I kind of wanted to be. You know, there was a time uh, when Apple was sort of abandoning the Apple II and switching its focus to Mac without really acknowledging that it was still making money off the Apple II and using that to finance everything. He and the group he led a group of uh, developers up to uh, Cupertino and and you know sat down at Apple and demanded to know like what's going on with this thing. That's that's how much he cared about about the Apple II. And I'm going to miss seeing him if I ever get back to Kansas Fest. Um, That's that's going to be a big absence. Yeah, I always kind of saw Ryan, Sheppy, and Tony as sort of this triumvirate. On on one hand, there's like the old guard, the people who were there at the beginning, like Dennis Doms of Resource Central. And then there are people who came along in the 90s and like kept it going. They picked up the torch and kept this thing alive. And you know, Sheppy was the publisher of JuiceGS and he created A2 Central and he had Sheppyware and st- still does those things. And Tony, with all of his work, as we've mentioned, and Ryan with his podcast, and he was on the Kansas Fest committee and he wrote software, one of which, the Fish NDA, weren't you looking for that a while ago? Uh, not, I, I don't know if it was Fish. It was one of those little NDAs um, that we, we seem to just be missing. Nobody seemed to know where it was or... Uh have a copy of it. Yeah, there's there was a website ryansapplesoftware.com. Uh, mm-hmm. I was able to get the domain name back from scammers and spammers after Ryan mm-hmm. died and I wanted to put it back up. I think you may have also collaborated with someone to create an archive of Ryan's software and unfortunately, I was never able to put the website back up and you were never able to complete that collection because the only complete collection of that website was a backup that Tony had made. <laughs> yep. We never got it from him. And so there's like this one totally inane piece of software of almost no utility that nonetheless <laughs> is out there somewhere sitting on a hard drive. And we lost Ryan 10 years ago. And now we lost the guy who had the one backup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do wonder about that because, you know, we've talked about the IP and we've talked about the the hardware, but you know, I mean, do we have his logins to go look at these hard drives where all the software existed? He, Tony, uh, worked for years at a company called Alltech Electronics, which I guess initially uh, started uh, out selling Apple II stuff. And as it shifted more towards PC and Mac, Tony sort of 
scavenged all the Apple II things that he could from from them. Um, and I know that there was a lot of important bits of code and documentation, things like that, that may only exist on those hard drives. And he ran the um, the A2 Central IRC server for years and logged all of that. And I, you know, those logs are presumably there. Do we have access to them? I don't know. Wow, your memory is remarkable. I have not heard the name Alltech Electronics in <laughs> so long, and that never would have occurred to me. I'm doing a quick Google search, and everywhere it comes up, it says Alltech Electronics, primary point of contact, Tony Diaz. I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, they made the focus drive, didn't they? Yes, they did. And I think he went out of his way to like buy the rights from Alltech to continue distributing and making those for, for a number of years. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I had totally forgotten that. I mean, I, I've known Tony online in some capacity. I was never that, that active in CSA2 like you were, but I was on CompuServe and then Genie and then Delphi and then Cinecom Online. And then, of course, Kansas Fest and JuiceGS. And Tony just seemed to be everywhere. And even I couldn't keep track of all the things he had done and was doing. So Alltech Electronics was buried under so many layers of other things he's done. And that's mm-hmm, a, a great thing for you to bring up. So thank you for, the, for remembering that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we've, I think we've lost probably more than seems immediately obvious when, without Tony. Oh, and that's, you uh, know what? That's, that's true. And it's really discouraging to realize that it's true because the loss already seemed so significant and to realize that it's actually worse than we thought. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but um, no sense denying it, though. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is at this point. But it's uh, yeah, there's a there's a certain sadness that I have. I, I one of my still one of my favorite memories of Tony from recent years was when Waz showed up at uh, Kansas Fest in 2013, and Waz knew who Tony was. Like, um, you know, I was like, wow, that is so cool, because you know, I mean, Waz is all over the place. He goes. I'm sure he shakes a thousand hands a day, you know, so for him to remember somebody by name and, and especially somebody associated with, with the Apple II community like that is to me was, was really impressive. You know what? In some ways I can see a lot of similarities between Tony and Waz. They're both brilliant and both very scattered. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, they, they, they both have exhaustive memories, but sometimes it's just a matter of getting it out. Yeah, and Waz has fortunately Waz has Janet to sort of ma- uh, manage all that. His his wife, <laughs> uh, but unfortunately Tony, I don't think had somebody like that to kind of help organize those things. Yeah, yeah, and I, I wish he had. And if our listeners you know, need somebody not to organize their lives, but just to talk to about what's happened, feel free to reach out. I'm happy to chat, and if you need additional help, I'm happy to point you in the right direction, and I'll include some of that in the show notes as well. Yeah, that'd be great. Em, I really appreciate that you and I were able to get on this podcast. I mean, as you noted, I wish we didn't have to. I wish we didn't have this occasion. But the fact that you and I are both still around and still have Open Apple as an outlet when we need it, uh, I, I really appreciate that we were both willing to take advantage of that. So thank you. Yeah, it felt uh, uh, familiar in a very comforting way. Yeah. This. Yeah, that's that's a good description of the Apple II community. Absolutely, and thank you for reaching out and, and asking me. It's sort of, I guess, um, I don't know if irony is really the right word, but I, one of the last things that I, I was looking just you know googling around about Tony, 
one of the last things it seems like he did was he, he's got a blog called Reset Vector. And, and I think the second to last entry was him talking about his friend, Ryan Sunaga. And that made me really sad and very happy. Yeah. Well, I hope wherever they are now, they are happily hacking away at the Apple II. And mm-hmm. Tony can now say to Ryan, hey, Ryan, that piece of software you were missing, I still have it. Here it is. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. <laughs> So this may be the end of this podcast, but I thought we would end by looking back at how it all started for Tony. A disc with Zork on it. <laughs> and the system master, after my brother came home with a uh, Osborne 1 portable way back when, when they first came out. I think it was 81 or 80 or whatever that was. And I looked at that and I said, oh, this is neat. I started playing Zork on that. And then I had gone to school this was over the summer, I think, then school started up, and I had discovered that there were Apple IIs, you know, another room. And I said, oh. I went in there, and I said, do you have Zork? And, yep, we do. And that well, was the end of that. So, <laughs> the fact that you could break into it and start messing with it without even needing to use the disk drive or anything, that was that. You can just break in and use.